This episode of the Jack Vita Show is brought to you by CBS All Access. CBS All Access is an outstanding streaming service. I watch it every single night. If you're bummed that Survivor will not be back this fall or this spring, yikes, it's going to be a while until Survivor returns, do not fear. CBS All Access has all 40 seasons of Survivor. They also have every season of Big Brother and 20 seasons of MTV's The Challenge. New show, Tough as Nails, on CBS All Access as well. There is a rich library of CBS classics and CBS originals, plus 70-plus Viacom properties that have made their way to CBS All Access. And I've been told that that library is expanding You can watch MTV, Nickelodeon, CMT, Spike, Comedy Central, a number of programs from those networks. We were watching Everybody Hates Chris on there. That's a classic. Sign up today. Get a free week trial. Go to jackvita.com slash CBS. And every time that you sign up through my link or you click on one of the ad banners on jackvita.com, this podcast is funded. So it's a pretty sweet deal. You get an awesome streaming service and you also are supporting this podcast. So what are you waiting for? Sign up today, get one week free and then $5.99 a month. JackVita.com slash CBS. Also brought to you by Fanatics. Fanatics is a great clothing brand. They make a lot of great sports apparel. I'm sure you've heard Kevin Harlan shouting about them in the commercials when you're watching your team play. College football, SEC is kicking off this weekend. Big Ten is coming back. Baseball is heating up here for the playoffs. NFL, NBA, NHL. So many sports going on. If you want to rep your team, do so by going to jackvita.com slash fanatics. That's a great way you can support your team with that gear. And now, let's get to today's show. What's up, y'all, and welcome to the Jack Vita Show. I'm your host, Jack Vita, back in action here on Thursday, September 24th, 2020. Had some fun earlier in the week talking about 2000s kids shows, and last week talking some NBA. Today we're talking primarily baseball. We only have a few days left in the regular season. Playoffs start next week. And I will be podcasting on Sunday evening, which means it should be out sometime on Monday. We will be previewing the first round of the Major League Baseball playoffs. Probably talk a little SEC football. It's our first weekend of SEC football. Man, what a great time it is in sports. Mario Lanza is set to join me here in a sec. You may remember Mario Lanza. He writes the funny 115 where he counts down the funniest moments in Survivor history. He's been writing about the show Survivor for a very long time, since the beginning. And here we are 20 years later. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about Survivor, maybe some reality TV later on in the show. Plenty to get into with Mario, but Mario is also a big-time baseball fan, big-time, long-time Seattle Mariners fan. He once was 
essentially the sports guy of Seattle. He started up his own blog. We will talk with him today about the state of baseball 2020. How about that? I like that name. That means we will talk about just what this season, what it was, 60 games, 16 teams in the playoffs. What are our thoughts? We will air all of that out and plenty more along the way. Let me bring in Mario Lanza, the man of the hour, a legend on this podcast. Mario, your episode last year was a fan favorite for the listeners of the Jack Vita show. Now, why? I'm curious. Why do people like my episode so much? I think the reason it is, is because without insulting your age, you're definitely the older, <laughs> the oldest person <laughs> who's come on here to talk sports. So I think okay. to have someone who has a little history to their name and uh, just a different perspective, I think people really valued that. Okay, I, I'm glad to see there's still some value placed on wisdom in the world, so I'm, I'm glad to see that. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, we have so much to talk about about baseball today, Mario, but before we do that, pretty awesome story in the world of college football this weekend. And Mario, I, let me just say, you're not much of a football fan, right? I'm just, am I correct? Uh, not for the most part. I'm a fair weather fan. And again, people with my history, I'm from Seattle. If the Seahawks are doing well, I am a football fan. That's about it. <laughs> so no on college football then? Uh, not really. My my college, Santa Clara University, d- didn't even have a football team. They yeah. dropped it, so there's nothing to follow for me. Well, I'm all about those mid-major basketball programs, I gotta say. Santa Clara, my school, Valparaiso. Yeah, Gonzaga. It's fun losing to Gonzaga 800 <laughs> times in a row. <laughs> but we had a really great story this weekend, and this pertains to, I know we have some listeners who are fans of Survivor and reality television, so... There was this guy, Brad Culpepper, who went on Survivor. Mario, why don't you tell us a little bit about Brad Culpepper, Monica Culpepper. Who are these people, and uh, why should we care about I'll, Well, I guess I'll say why we should care about them. <laughs> it's your show. You tell me. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I will give you the history of Brad Culpepper. So Brad Culpepper, big shot football player. Maybe he's not known as well nationally, but in the Tampa area, the Florida area. He went to school there, went to college in Florida. He played for, uh, which college did he play for? No, Florida, I, I think. Joseph Florida, yeah. He was a Gator. Yeah. And then he was a big shot there, made it to the NFL, and he was a big shot on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He was a hometown favorite because he ended up on his hometown team. So he's a big legend down in Florida, lives in one of the richest areas, I believe right by Derek Jeter, I think if I recall. <laughs> Tom Brady's probably down there too now. Yeah, that's a good neighborhood. But uh, (laughs) so he's real famous. Then he became a lawyer afterwards. He's a really famous personal injury lawyer in in Tampa. You drive around, you see him, his billboard all over the place. He is like the king of Tampa. And so he and his wife are very well known in the area. And then his wife wanted to do something because she was always in his shadow. She was like a personal trainer slash doctor who gave up her career to raise kids. And because Brad was so famous, she wanted to do do something for her, too. She went on Survivor, and she didn't do real well. And then they had it played again where she came on with Brad, her husband. It was husbands and wives, and he he didn't do very well either. And they're kind of notorious in the Survivor community. They eventually came back and did better. But, yeah, that's that's why they're known in the Survivor world. Absolutely, yeah. So Brad Culpepper, he was a lineman. For about 10 years, he had a good NFL career, and he did, yeah, as you mentioned, second time on Survivor, he came in second place, did a pretty good job. Well, anyway, the reason why this is relevant, in the Syracuse-Pittsburgh game on Saturday, I was watching this game, 
And Tommy DeVito, Syracuse's quarterback, he's been their quarterback for a few years now. He's a good he's a good player. He got injured, came out of the game for a second. They bring in their backup quarterback, this guy by the name of Rex Culpepper. He is the son of Brad and Micah. And Rex Culpepper comes in. This is, I think he appeared in a few games last year, but he threw about three passes. And on his third pass, it was a 60 or 70 yard touchdown. Uh, really exciting. Energized the Syracuse fans for a little bit until the second half when he came out of the game and uh, Pittsburgh ended up beating them pretty handily. But really great story. Connects to Survivor, connects to sports, but best of all, Rex Culpepper is a testicular cancer survivor. So mm-hmm. to see him have that moment was really, really special, I think. Yeah, I had a chance to meet Brad Culpepper, and this is kind of off sports, more into Survivor, but he was not well-liked in the Survivor community. I wrote this article kind of defending him, pointing out he never did anything wrong. It's all just perception, and that kind of helped turn a lot of the perception around on Brad. He's kind of a fan favorite now, and a lot of people like him. But because of that, Brad invited me to lunch. He's like, you know, if you're ever in Florida, come on out, and I'll, I'll buy you lunch to thank you for writing that entry. As luck would have it, I happened to take a job in Florida about four months later. I went out there and met him, and that's the the part that ties into the story. The whole time we're sitting there, we're either talking about movies, Brad loves movies, or (laughs) his kids. He is so proud of his kids. And he was talking about Rex, who goes to Syracuse. He had one at Penn State, I believe. He had a daughter at the time who was in high school who was like the top scholar athlete in the state of Florida. And he, Brad has a little wristband he wore, and it's orange and white, half of it for Syracuse, half of it for Penn State. So that guy is all about his kids. And when Rex got testicular cancer, it was like a huge blow. Man. And I remember following it, and then Rex overcame it. He went through treatments. He, uh, he went into remission. And I remember I, I emailed Brad. Like, we've actually texted and emailed about this before. But he is so proud of his kids. So that was a really big story if you know the Culpeppers at all. Yeah, that's awesome. Have you? When's the last time you chatted with him? Have you sent him a congrats on that moment or anything of that nature? I didn't on this. I sent him a congrats when his son went into remission yeah. for the testicular cancer. And then just re- recently, we talk about movies all the time. <laughs> he he was on my Staff Picks episode where he talked about Blazing Saddles, because that's his favorite movie of all time. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So that's the last time we talked. If you're a fan of Blazing Saddles, check out Staff Picks. Mario Lanza. Yeah, we'll plug that. Yeah, we'll plug that at the end. Oh, I'll get the plugs in there along the way. When I, Mario, when I had Johnny Fairplay on here, he showed me how you plug stuff throughout the entire podcast. That does sound like something he'd do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was like I asked him some question about the dead grandma lie, and they starts talking about how you can see him at his next live show, which ended up getting canceled because of COVID. <laughs> Yeah, he is a uh, shameless huckster, I think would be the proper term. I, I try not to do that. I give you my full attention all throughout the podcast, and then I'll, I do all the shameless whoring of my products at the end. <laughs> good stuff. Yeah, Fairplay is a good guy, though. So, yeah, can't can't get too hard on Fairplay. He's a, he's a good guy. He's just trying to make a living, of course. Absolutely. As are yeah. we all. Yeah, for sure. So, Mario, you mentioned the last time we were podcasting together you started up a seattle sports blog right you were trying to be the seattle sports guy i wanted to be the bill simmons of seattle mariners history (laughs) it did not go well (laughs) 
What happened? I'm, I it was me and my brother. We're the two biggest Mariner fans from back in the day. And I'm like, hey, we should put together a website. And he's like, okay. And so I did, let's do a Mariner's blog. Let's be like Bill Simmons. This is like in the late 90s. This is before Bill Simmons is even on ESPN. And so my brother's like, okay. And so I'm like, I'll do some articles and you do some articles. And then he never wrote an article. So I just did like 12 <laughs> articles myself. I think we got like 12 hits total for the whole entire blog. I'm like, this sucks. I'm not doing this anymore. There's no payoff to this whatsoever. Uh, oh, man. Oh, oh and I forgot my- the funniest part. The yeah. only feedback we ever got is the name of the website was Schooler Fans Unite because we love to make fun of Mariners reliever Mike Schooler back in the 80s and <laughs> 90s. The only feedback we ever got is that I had called Mike Schooler portly and ineffective. And some people that knew him in real life yelled at me. So they found this <laughs> website and they said it was shameful and I need to shut down my website because I'm insulting a nice man. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Have they read any of the other words that you've used in your entries? Probably <laughs> not. They, were, they seem very old, and they are probably not with us at the t- at the time. But yeah, he Mike Schooler is like a co- baseball coach out here in California somewhere. He's like well known and well loved. But yeah, some older members of the community found my scathing indictment of him, and they let me have it. <laughs> And Mario, the other thing, the last time we talked, you had a really good Don Mattingly story that I had to cut for time. It was really the it was a Kyle Mooney sketch of the podcast where it was like really good and really funny, but it didn't really fit with the episode yet. It was probably better than a lot of stuff we actually talked about. So you're going to ask me to tell it again so you can cut it again? <laughs> it's here to stay this time. I don't think you deserve my Don Mattingly story, Jack. <laughs> All right. All, all right. right no, I'll tell it. So I'm, <laughs> I know you want to tell it. I, know, I love this story. This is great. So <laughs> I am a old school Seattle Mariner fan and Mariners never really had rivals growing up. And this is, I mean, I go back to 81, 82, way back. Like you hear Mariner fans say, oh, we haven't been good since 2001. I'm like, BS, we haven't been, we weren't good before that either. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> the only rivalry we've ever had that had much heat was with the Yankees in the 90s. And there's a long story. It started with Jim Leritz and, and Randy Johnson, but it just continued up through the 95 playoffs. So in the 95 ALDS, it was Seattle's first time in the playoffs. Big deal. Big deal for us. Big deal for me. But if you watch the news, like ESPN, all anybody would talk about is, oh, Don Mattingly finally gets to play in the postseason. That was like 90% of the stories on ESPN. And I'm like, what about us? We're Seattle. We've never even been there. Talk about us. So I was pissed. So I would just bring signs to the kingdom. I was all three of those ALDS games, basically mocking Don Mattingly and cheering about the fact that he would never play in a World Series in his lifetime. And so <laughs> I was very excited that, that, you know, they show, if you look at the ALDS, they show all the signs. And you can see my sign up in the 300 level. And, you know, this is Don Mattingly fawning appreciation season. And there's my sign that basically says, Don Mattingly will never play in a World Series. Screw him. <laughs> and then he never did. They lost to Seattle, so he never played. So my sign was the final word on his career. <laughs> it's starting to. It also looks like he's never going to manage in a World Series either. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I have a sign for that. I'm going to bring that as well. <laughs> but that is my one moment. And it's funny because Mattingly was actually one of my favorite players as a kid. But I was just so mad that the national media would not talk about Seattle being in the playoffs. I'm like, I got to take it out on this Mattingly guy because he's like their savior. <laughs> so that brings up a good point. Talking about 
let's talk a little bit about coverage of teams. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to think that DJ LeMahieu's career is just the biggest proof of the coastal bias that there's ever been. This guy won a batting title, multiple gold gloves in Colorado. Nobody cared. The second he he might he's probably going to win a batting title now with the Yankees and he's a top 10 player everyone's talking about. <laughs> oh wow, he's going to be rookie of the year. <laughs> now he's in New York, now he's a rookie. Yeah, it's again, you live on the West Coast, you get used to that. It's just no one cares about any player on the West Coast. Griffey was like one rare exception, but he was he kind of transcended the sport. But like, yeah, you get used to that on the West Coast. Nobody cares. Yeah. Do you think part of it is the fact that they play so late or do you think it's just the East Coast love machine? It's it's part of both. And I will say, in all fairness, I have I work on the West Coast now. I've traveled out there many times. I work on the East Coast. I travel out there many times. And it is very hard to find a West Coast baseball score a lot of the time. Yeah. It just says late. You don't even know. So they don't even know what the games are. So I can kind of see why that happens. And like it sucks, but I kind of see why it happens. But it is also, of course, media bias. Yeah. DJ LeMayhew. It was so funny last year. It's like, oh, my gosh, who knew this guy was actually good? It's like, what? (laughs) You won a batting title. (laughs) Well, Edgar Martinez, I think, won two batting titles before anybody ever heard of him. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine if Mike Trout played in New York? Oh, dear. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, this guy's like the greatest player of all time. You look at his stats. Like, he's up there with Mickey Mantle, His his the start of his career, how good he's been. Yeah. And, like, you wouldn't really know that because he plays in Anaheim and no one really cares. Yeah. That's very true. And it's interesting, though, because it's like he's in the L.A. area, and you would think that maybe there'd be a little bit of a celebrity effect being in L.A., but I guess not. Yeah, Dodgers versus Angels is much different. Yeah, very true. <laughs> and also, he's very soft-spoken, humble, quiet. He's not flashy. Yeah. I've heard that them say that. He's not a good spokesman for baseball. And he's like, well, I'm not really supposed to be. I'm just quiet. <laughs> Absolutely. So l- let's talk about... I was thinking Don Mattingly. We'll go back to him for a sec. His team, the Marlins, the main really covid issue this year was the marlins catching covid and i know mario you weren't super optimistic on this baseball season being played to its entirety even in a 60 game season were you surprised that baseball was able to come out of that so nicely i was shocked they played one game and then i was shocked they made it past the first week with all the quarantines so i'm amazed they did as well as they did to be honest and to follow that up were you surprised that the Marlins were the team that contracted COVID? I mean, I've been to Florida. I work in Florida now. So it was either COVID or bath salt. They were all going to get hooked on something. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I, you know, one team was going to have a bad, a bad run of COVID. You knew it. You could tell by the odds. Though I, I wouldn't have guessed them over any other team. Based on what we know about teams, I think my one guess would be the New York Mets. It seems like a very Mets type of thing. It does seem that there's some the COVID would get mixed in with the cocaine somehow. <laughs> so this season, obviously very different. 60 games instead of 162. How do you what are your thoughts on just this model of a season? What do you think of it so far? Were you as invested as you normally are? I was not invested at all. In fact, I have not watched a single game on TV or listened to one on the radio just because it was never going to be a real season to me. It's too yeah. weird. 
the rules are different, the traveling's different. But again, I will admit the Mariners were pretty good, and yeah. they had a run there at the end, and it actually kind of sucked me in, and I was kind of surprised. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I think in general, it, it takes a little bit for people to get fully invested into their baseball team just because they're used to it being 162 Mm -hmm. and then you have those months in the summer where it's really the only thing that's on and it's really peaceful and really enjoyable in a lot of ways and so i i think a lot of people felt that way where like this thing just all of a sudden at the very end it's like oh my gosh now i'm really into this thing and it's almost over yeah and again i just no joking around here this is all seriousness that you know, it's been a dark year for people. It's depressing. People yeah. are uncertain, anxious, stressed out. We actually had one nice thing in the middle of the year that was kind of normal, and it was baseball. And I, I even wrote to a lot of the Mariners announcers and the, the media people. I'm like, you know, I'm really happy you guys were back this year. I think it made a lot of people happy. So I'm really glad, again, shocked that it worked out at all, but really glad that it was there to distract people. Absolutely. Yeah, I feel the same way. And that's where it's tough because I don't want to rip on it too much because I feel the same way you do. I think that this isn't really a real season. These stats at the same winning a batting title in 60 games is not the same. It doesn't carry the same weight as doing it in 162. However, I'm so thankful for everyone who made this happen that I'm not going to diminish uh, their success. Yeah. I mean, in the big picture, does it matter that baseball was here? No. Does it matter that it was a shorter season that won't fit in with the rest of baseball history? Not really. I mean, it, it was a fun little distraction. That's how I look at it. It's no more, no less. But again, like you said, a batting title, how's that going to go down in history that someone won a title this year or an ERA title or they led the league in wins with six? <laughs> like yeah. It's, it's going to be weird. <laughs> what, and then I get conflicted because on Seattle, we have Kyle Lewis, who's probably going to win Rookie of the Year. And that's forever going to be tainted. Oh, that was that weird yeah. season. That doesn't count. So it's like, I don't know. It's it's it's. I have lots of mixed feelings on it. <laughs> Kyle Lewis, or it could be Luis Robert on the White Sox. It would have been him about a month ago. Have you yeah. seen their numbers lately? Uh, yeah, I have. <laughs> it's not close anymore. <laughs> no. Yeah, he he peaked a little too early. Yeah. No, Lewis has been a nice surprise for Seattle. He really is. Again, just we're one team, one team's fans. I can't speak for all of baseball, but you have right. one guy like Kyle Lewis that excites the fan base. It really kept Seattle fans invested this year, which is nice. How did Carl Edwards Jr. do this year? I think he only pitched in like two games and then got hurt. Oh man. I, I liked him a lot. He's a he was really clutch for the Cubs in twenty sixteen down the stretch there. Yeah, they they had high hopes for him in Seattle, but that's that's what uh, Jerry Depoto does. He takes gambles on these guys coming off injuries or former first round picks. He he guy he grabs these guys that are risky but have huge upsides. Well, the Cubs ruined Carl Edwards forever last year at spring training. They had this new pitching coach, and he taught him this move that was a balk, and I. Don't, <laughs> I don't know how this happened. Like you would, you would think just watching it as a fan, you're like, oh, of course that's a balk. And uh, this is a professional pitching coach teaching him to balk. And then he gets into one of his first games, and the ump called a balk, and the the Cubs were upset about it, and they were confused by it somehow, and so they really messed up his whole delivery. It was very strange. <laughs> I'm going to steal a line from the great Norm McDonald here. That is not a good coach. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's Norm. Like when my dad was a, my basketball coach in high school, and he taught me how to travel. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. 
Did he? <laughs> no. <laughs> Just trying to think of a, a parallel there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, one move the Mariners made real recently, they got Taylor Trammell mm-hmm. in a trade. I like him a lot. I think he could be a really good player. I think so, too. It's Again, DePoto makes stuff exciting. <laughs> Every week, something's <laughs> going to happen, and it might be a good trade. It might be a bad trade. But, you know, damn it, he's going to make following the Mariners exciting. But that was not expected. We were not expected to get that much for Austin Nola, who, again, was a you know backup career minor leaguer until this year. Yeah. <laughs> but the other thing with Trammell is... He is good, and he's you know former first-round pick and pedigree. He may not make Seattle's outfield. Seattle's got this killer trio of like young prospects coming up. Trammell might not even be good enough to make them. Yeah, he might get traded again. Mm-hmm. That's what I think probably happened. Yeah. Well, it's a good, still a good move, good capital to acquire. Yeah, for nothing. We gave up nothing. So you're on the same page with me that there should never, ever be 16 teams in the playoffs ever again. Well, you're asking a guy whose team has not made the playoffs in 20 years. I'd love to see them in the playoffs, even if we sneak in. So I'm not that much of a purist. (laughs) How about if the Mariners were in third place in, or they had the third best record in all of baseball? Would you want then? Sure. If you're the third best team in baseball, third best team in baseball, you still want eight teams in your division make or eight teams in your league making the playoffs? Sure, I don't care. Oh, interesting. I, 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 I don't like it. I am a purist in a lot of things, but not when it comes to baseball. A lot of this stuff, I, I, I don't mind. I, <laughs> I think it's it's good to have a big Hall of Fame. I think it's good to have more yeah. playoffs. It keeps people more interested. And as you are a Chicago guy, I'm just going to name Harold Baines. I love that he's right. in the Hall of Fame. That's yeah. good for White Sox fans. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm with you on the Hall of Fame. I agree on that. I'm not. I think that I like seeing these games really matter, and I don't like having more than half of the league making the playoffs. So I think would be cool is we expand and we have two more teams. So we get 32 teams and then you could do what the NFL had done for a while. And you have six teams in each league, make the playoffs. I think you could expand it, but I don't like going all the way to eight. And more people probably agree with you. I'm not going to argue that's right. Everyone's personal opinion, but you probably hold the majority opinion. Yeah. It'll be really wild if the Dodgers were to lose to the Reds or the Giants in a best of three series uh, next week. I think that would really uh, pop the balloon. This would not happen again in the future. (laughs) We shall see. And what about, how about seven inning games with these double headers? What's your opinion on those? What's funny is I've been paying so little attention to baseball this year. I didn't even realize they were doing that until like two days ago. (laughs) I'm like, wait a minute, why was that seven innings? Someone said, oh, they've been doing that all year. I'm like, oh, I guess I really haven't been paying attention. But why? I, I don't get that at all. It's for double headers, and I guess it's part of, I don't I don't totally understand it. I think it was, they started doing it in the middle of the season. I think they started it two weeks in, and they were concerned about, well, we got to get all these games in. They're getting canceled because of COVID. This will be an easier way to do it because they're going to play more double headers. So I guess that was the thought process on it. Okay. I mean, I'm not the commissioner of baseball. They can do whatever they want. It doesn't really seem like there's much of a point to it. Yeah, I agree. It just doesn't seem like a real baseball game. It it makes me feel like I'm going to take it less seriously because it feels like a diminished version of the real thing. Yeah. And again, there's there's finite rules in baseball how long a pitcher has to go to get a win 
you know, <laughs> number of plate appearances per game for batting title. When you start messing with the number of innings per game, that really skews your rules and stuff. Yeah, and another one, and I'm, I'm sure we'll have a debate on this. I do not like the designated hitter in the National League at all. At all. Don't like it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I've been an American League fan my whole life. I was born in 1974. So, like, to me, baseball has always had the designated hitter. Yeah. It started before I was even born. So it's it's no big deal to me. Okay, just add another hitter to the National League. It's nothing. But I don't follow the National League as clearly as most as you do as other people. So I don't really care one way or another. All right. Well, I actually, I'm not like t- I'm with you in this in terms of I'm not entirely anti DH. I like the way that it was. I think it. I think it actually is kind of cool that the American League and National League are sort of they're different. And I, I would like to go back to the time where we had a little less interleague play. I totally agree with you in that. I, I remember when it first started in the '90s. It was special, like the Mariners playing the Dodgers. Like you'd never see that. That was so cool. And now it's just like the other game. So I, I wouldn't mind just dumping interleague play altogether. I, I, I kind of would like to go back to when it was special. I feel the same way. It was really cool. They had those. It was essentially like a three-week showcase in June mm-hmm. in the early 2000s is what I remember. And they had a little bit in May. And I went to the first Cubs-Red Sox game in over like 60 or 70 years. Mm-hmm. And it was just so exciting and so fun to go to. Yeah, because you don't see these players. You don't see these uniforms. I just remember that, specifically these uniforms. Like I've never seen a Colorado Rockies uniform in Seattle. It was just fun. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. What about you like this extra innings rule that runner on second base? No, that that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's I I have no patience for that. That is just again the argument is they want to speed up the game, right? Because people are bored, I guess, or they want to save. I don't know, but there's like nobody in the stands anyway. Who are you actually speeding it up for? <laughs> I think it's crazy. I think actually the idea behind it isn't a horrible one. They don't want extra inning games to go extremely long. But I think there's a there are steps they could take before that. So let's say play three regular extra innings, and then in the 13th inning, now all of a sudden there's a runner on first base. And if there's a runner on first base, I would be a little more into it than a runner on second base because when the runner's on second base, you watch three and a half hours of a baseball game, and now all of a sudden the game's over by one base hit. It feels very unsatisfactory. But the guy's on first base. Now there's a little more strategy. Maybe you want to bunt the guy over. Maybe you steal a base. That's what I would be a little more interested in if they did it that way. Yeah. I mean, my biggest gripe, there's a lot of gripes I have. The one that just jumps to my head is like figuring out ERA. Does (laughs) that runner count against the pitcher's ERA even though he started on second? It shouldn't. It shouldn't. It's It's weird. It's got to be the same thing as when you inherit a runner when you come in as a reliever. That's what I would think. That's what I would hope, too. I don't really know. Again, I haven't been paying that close of attention, but I really hope when baseball hopefully gets back to the quote-unquote normal next year that this rule gets scrapped because this rule really messes with stuff. I'd much rather have if there's no winner by the 12th inning, it's a tie. I don't mind that. At least a tie. At least, I mean, it's still a regular game. 
I would rather have an outcome to it than a tie mm-hmm. because the tie feels even more unsatisfactory to me than having that weird way that a team wins. I yeah, I just think it'd be you know, one of the things is what if one of these managers like a Joe Madden or one of these teams that's like super into well, we have to preserve our bullpen, what if they just said, you know what, we're playing a division rival. We don't or we're playing we're playing the Mets. We don't need this game. We're playing the Mets. This is not an important game for us. But what if we just walk a guy in and we intentionally lose this game so we save our bullpen for this big four-game series that we have against the Cardinals? Yeah, and that's true. I mean, if there is an incentive to do that, someone will eventually do that. Yeah, and that's more interesting to me than just screwing around with this stuff. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird. It's I, again. I'm really happy. I'm not watching the games live this year because I would <laughs> I would go nuts the first time I saw that. Like, what? This this is so stupid. This is ridiculous. Like little league rules. <laughs> oh man, I think that's pretty much it in terms of rules that have been different this year. Uh, well, there's like the taxi squad, and obviously yeah. there's no minor leagues. It was again. It's just weird. Yeah. It's, it's nice that there was a semblance and an impression of baseball this year. <laughs> I was thinking, how are you, if you're a front office, how do you assess and make decisions based on the 60 game sample size that you saw this year? And Mm -hmm. like, there are some executives that are going to have big decisions to make. The Phillies might not make the playoffs here and they're going to, I mean, I have a lot of Philly fan friends and they're not happy with their executive, Matt Klintak, but it was at the same time, do you just say it was only 60 games? We have a new manager, Joe Girardi is a really good manager if we go 162, things are different. And that's the thing I'm really going to be interested to see this winter. Oh, yeah. it was. Uh, I know Seattle had that exact scenario because we were not expected to compete this year. This is a rebuilding yeah. year. It's just let the kids play. And then down the stretch, we won like 15 out of 19, and we were like a game behind the Astros. And so all the Seattle fans are like, Call up all the minor leaguers. Call up all the guys who are our future stars. Yeah. Uh, what's the guys? Uh, Logan Gilbert yep. and and Jared, uh, Kellenick, Jared Kellenick. Mm-hmm. And the front office would not do it. They were basically, we're not competing this year. I don't care for one game out. We're not ruining people's development, especially in a season when there was no minor league season. <laughs> so they would not call these guys up. And so it, a lot of fans were kind of grumbling about it. Sounds a little like Major League. I'm trying to remember the name of that owner in Major League. Rachel. Uh... Rachel Phelps. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the uh, ex ex showgirl owner of the Indians. Yeah, it's very similar to that. But Seattle stuck to their guns. They're like, this is a rebuilding year. I don't care how close we are. We are doing exactly what we planned to do, and they ended up not making the playoffs. And who knows if what would have happened otherwise? Yeah, I think pretty successful season for the Mariners. Just to, you in a season like that. And here's the thing: I don't like it when people say that baseball teams tank. I don't think these teams are trying to actively lose games. I think they're trying to just develop talent as best as they can. And a lot of the way, a lot of the time when they do that, they end up not winning a whole lot of games. But I think the more games you win as a team that is rebuilding the better because good for your culture it boosts morale boosts confidence going forward there's just not with the draft pick you're not drafting lebron james at pick number one where it's like a guy who's going to be a a sure thing star for 15 years of your franchise 
I had a roommate in college. He was a big college basketball fan. And he would always tell me that because I'm like, oh, the Mariners have the number one pick this year. And he's like, you know, baseball is different. Basketball, you draft number one, it's a sure thing. You know what you're getting. Baseball is a crapshoot. So don't get too excited about draft picks. Yeah, Seattle, well, this year in particular, like you said, they weren't trying to tank. They were just trying to do as well as they could with the existing franchise before they brought up all these minor leaguers. And they would argue, we had a very successful year because our top pitcher, Marco Gonzalez, became the leader of a staff and everyone looks up to him. Kyle Lewis, our rookie outfielder, became the leader of the clubhouse. All the outfielders and hitters look up to him. So now we have a culture of winning and leadership we can introduce all these rookies into. So there's some there's a method to the madness in some of this stuff. Exactly. Yeah, totally. That's exactly it. How is by the way, James Paxton, since trading mm-hmm. him, he has not done well with the Yankees. He's been okay, he's been fine. How's the package that the Mariners have gotten back from that deal? How have those guys performed? Okay, let's let me think back here. I'm trying to remember the exact deal. So Paxton It was Sheffield. Had, sorry, who? Oh, Sheffield? Wasn't he in that trade? I believe he was. Was there yeah. someone else too? Okay, but anyway, Paxton was always one of these high-risk, high-reward things because he's almost unhittable when he's on, but he gets hurt all the time. He's like uh, Eric Bedard would be kind of the call. Oh, yeah. So when we traded him, the the hope as a Mariners fan is he does not quite live up to his potential, nothing personal, but if he becomes Sandy Koufax, that's the trouble for us. (laughs) And he always being hurt again with the Yankees. It's never really come to fruition. We got Justice Sheffield who at the time was a highly rated prospect. They would say, oh, he, but then eventually it was like, oh, he was just overrated because he was on the Yankees. They always overrate Yankees prospects. But he's been very good this year. They really worked with him on his cutter and his sinker, I believe, and him working with Marco Gonzalez. They're an excellent number one, two punch of lefties at the top. He, He has probably been our most surprising player this year. Sheffield's our number two pitcher. Interesting. I saw Taiwan Walker was pitching. I think I traded the Blue Jays. Do you know where he was earlier this year? Because I think he's pitched pretty well. He started in Arizona. Then yeah. he was a free agent. And it was a big deal where he was going to resign. And again, this is pre-COVID when everyone yeah. thought there was going to be a full season. So everyone on Seattle and social media was playing, saying, come on home, Taiwan, you're ours. Please come <laughs> back. And so he did. He passed up That's a better right. offer to come to Seattle. And then That's right. in the shortened season, he only pitched six games for us, but he showcased himself well enough to trade him to the Blue Jays. I saw him at spring training game in 2015. I love this stuff. He's Again, when he was not injured, he looked like he could be an amazing pitcher in this league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he has always had a solid relationship with Seattle and the fans. And even though he was traded to the Blue Jays, that was what he wanted. They're like, you know, we just are showcasing you for a contender. Here you go. And there's always the chance he may sign with Seattle again in the offseason. That's kind of the rumor. So, Mario, another good thing that has come out of this season, the Houston Astros are not going to win the ALS this year. I think that is just maybe one of the best things to happen in 2020 for for everyone. That's a shame. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I. there's nothing better for baseball than Houston collapsing and Altuve sucking this year. <laughs> it's a lot harder to hit when you don't know what's coming. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Houston was like up there and then they collapsed. They, I mean, are they, are they going to make the playoffs at all? They're certainly not the dominant team in the AL West. They're going to make it because each division, this is another one. I didn't realize this until recently. Each division has to have two playoff teams. Mm. And so they are currently at 28 and 28, which Mm. is good enough to be second place in the AL West this year. 
Well, Seattle just beat them in a three-game series, which is the first time they'd done that in like four years or something. So like <laughs> the tides are turning. Houston's on their way down. Seattle's on their way up. So I'm very excited about this. Yeah, I don't know where Houston goes from this because their pitching staff is quite up there in years. They're not mm-hmm. not very young and spry, at least with their pitchers. Yeah, they're not built for the future. Like that team is built for the present, and I believe they're going to lose some free agents probably. Yeah. And, you know, they lost draft picks because of the punishment. So, again, if you're an AL West fan, it's very exciting. <laughs> if you're Sorry, if you're an AL West fan who is not from Houston, it's very exciting. <laughs> what have you thought about the way that Major League Baseball has disciplined the Astros? And also, I mean, there have been a couple of incidents this season with the Astros. What are your thoughts on how the league has been handling them? I only vaguely followed that story. So I remember it was a big deal. There was guys on YouTube pointing out all the trash can hits. Yeah. And then when the punishment came down, it seemed like it was kind of minor. Like they lost draft picks. They didn't really lose that much. And they suspended the GM or whatever. Yeah. I haven't been following that closely during the season, though. So they've had two incidents. There was. Did you see the Joe Kelly incident against the Dodgers? No, I missed that one. What happened? Oh my gosh, Mario, you got to look this one up. You'll be very happy when you see it. Joe Kelly went up and in on them, and I think it was Altuve. I want to say no, maybe it was Springer. I don't know. They're all kind of the same person to me at this point. <laughs> it's hard to go up and in on Altuve. He's like four feet tall. Yeah. <laughs> No, maybe it was Correa. I don't know. I don't remember. It wasn't Bregman. I know that. But anyway, there was a whole thing, and the Astros were upset, and Joe Kelly was taunting them and making faces, and it was really great. And so then Joe Kelly got suspended for – it was a significant suspension. It was like eight games or something like that, which is a lot in a 60-game season. And people are like, so you – are not going to suspend any of these Astros players, but you're going to <laughs> suspend this vigilante who's just doing, uh, you know, God's work over here that everyone is wants to see this. And so then Trevor Bauer wanted to wear free Joe Kelly cleats, but the MLB wouldn't allow him to do that. Wow, I missed some exciting stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I do not envy the commissioner who had to rule over all of that because, again, yeah, that... That whole situation with the Astros, and then admittedly the others too, right? The Red Sox, were they also kind of caught? Yes. Uh, Alex Cora got fired as a result of that. And uh, yeah, we'll probably find out more in the future. I'm sure that, I mean, you kind of look at some of these guys. So one of the things that's interesting, they're not allowed to use iPads in the dugouts (laughs) now, um, which is really interesting. So Javier Baez on the Cubs is hovering right around the Mendoza line. He hasn't been hitting well at all. And personally, I think his approach, the way that he just swings at everything, he was the league was going to catch up to him. They know what to throw him. You don't give him any strikes, and he's not going to hit anything because he swings at everything. It's pretty easy. Well, anyway, he recently said that if he was able to look at film on the iPad during the game, he'd be doing a lot better, which sounds like a sorry excuse. maybe the apple store will help get him out of the slump (laughs) it's like you're allowed to look at film of your swing any other time just not during the game can they use a computer like a a microsoft (laughs) equivalent of an ipad is that okay yeah like a an amazon nook or something like that if they want to do a little reading (laughs) you know say what you want in seattle we lose honorably no one's ever said we cheated (laughs) at least i don't think so i'm i'm sure someone will 
immediately pull out a clip of Seattle being accused of cheating, which I don't remember. <laughs> Very true. Well, I would like to pat myself on the back here because I did have the Oakland A's as the AL West division champs. I'm sure you've seen, I guess you haven't watched too many of the games, but you follow the AL West very closely. Uh, Have you been impressed by what the A's have done this year? I am impressed by the A's always (laughs) because, I mean, you look at their culture. They have no budget. They cannot keep superstars. And it's been that way since the 80s, like since Conseco and McGuire and Ricky Henderson left. Like Giambi's like the only real star. I'm thinking they only ever really had, but they had I am always impressed that they are still able to win despite having, you know, one tenth of the resources that other teams do. Yeah. And they're always competitive. They may not always win, but they're always pretty good. And I'm, I'm just consistently impressed by them. Yeah, even in the years that they're supposed to rebuild, they're supposed to lose 100. They end up winning like around 78 games or so. Yeah. Like they're pretty close to 500 when they're rebuilding. That's the thing. Everyone should at least admire them, that somehow they do this. They should not be allowed to exist in current baseball, yet they somehow do and they somehow compete. And I know even one of the Seattle sports writers was pointing out, you know, everyone makes fun of the Oakland A's, but, you know, they've made the playoffs like 12 times in the interim in all the years Seattle never has. And Seattle has 10 times their budget. Yeah. And by that token as well, the Tampa Bay Rays have been so fun to watch this year and really... I think the Rays have surpassed the A's as the best front office in terms of bang for your buck, what that team has financially and their resources and what you get out of them. Because I I love watching the A's and I think, you know, we met the marketing director in Oakland about five years ago. We had this trip, Mario, where they took us out to at my college, five different um, all, all, all five major league parks in the state of California, and this counted as a class somehow. Um, but we met the marketing director, and we also met the owner Lou Wolf of the A's, and both of them said the same thing. They said, "We're everyone tells us that the Oakland A's are their second favorite team because mm-hmm. <laughs> of Moneyball and all that." Yeah, and the Rays, the same thing, just small market, no fans, no attendance, no budget, and somehow they win. I want to give you some trivia. I don't remember if I told this story last time on the podcast. When I I went to college in the Bay Area in Santa Clara, California, which is right next to Oakland and San Francisco, and coming out of college, all I wanted to work for a major league baseball team. Oh, wow. Because that's all I did back then is run fantasy leagues, run stats, advanced stats, all sorts of stuff. Just, you know, simulations by the thousands. I would just do those all the time when I was a kid because I just loved seeing how baseball played out, how numbers worked. So I wanted to work for a baseball team, hopefully some team that enjoyed or appreciated stats and stat analysis. And you think the Oakland A's would be the perfect match for me, <laughs> wouldn't you? This was 1996. I wrote the Oakland A's. My dad went to uh, Santa Clara. He had a friend named, uh, I think, Ron Calcagno, who worked in the A's front office. They knew from college. My dad's like, write this guy out of college. Tell him you want to work for the A's. He's like in the front office. He will hire you. (laughs) And so I wrote him, and I never heard back. And it kicked me off, so I never followed up. And then within three years or two or three years, Oakland is the center of all advanced stat analysis in the country. (laughs) Oh, man. I missed it by like it's one tough. year somehow. Oh, gosh. Dang. I could have been Jonah Hill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But 
Tampa Bay Rays. So the A's have been there since the start of the 2000s, which is really, that's right around the time I started following sports because I was born in 1994. So start of 2000s, the A's have been there a lot. I think they've only won one playoff series. I think they've only been in one ALCS. So I would love to see the A's make a little bit of noise in these playoffs. Now, unfortunately, that would be very uh, 2020-ish if one of these teams like that never wins ends up starts doing some damage in these uh, shortened playoffs in a weird season. It would be very fitting. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, there's the thing. Will people treat it as legitimate down the road? You never know. Yeah. But Tampa Bay Rays, on the other hand, now this squad for the last 10 years, now their thing is super recently, but they have been to a World Series. They've done more in the playoffs, I would say. I mean, they've beaten them and they beat them in the wild card game last year. And I've just been so fascinated with what Tampa has done in just a, an even shorter amount of time. They are also in the AL East, they're going to win the American League East if they haven't locked that up by the time that this episode is released, which means that the New York Yankees, uh, once again, not living up to expectations. How many years has it been since the Yankees won a World's? 2000 was the last year, I think, right? Because 2001 was that uh, Diamondbacks year. Yeah. Oh, no, 2009. Yeah, they, I think they won yeah, after 2009. that, I forgot the oh night. Okay, so yeah, yeah, somewhere, somewhere there's an 11 year old in New York wondering if the Yankees will ever win a World <laughs> Series in his lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's I, I just again, Mariners and Yankees had that rivalry in the 90s, so I cannot be more happy when teams like the Yankees and Reds don't make the playoffs. I find that very amusing. <laughs> and speak, will the will the will, the, will they make the playoffs? Neither one of them. The uh, sorry, the uh, Yankees and who? Red Sox? Red Sox will not. The Yankees are going to get in there. The Yankees were on the outs until about 10 days ago, and they went on this 10-game win streak. And so now it's like, ah, dang it. Now the Yankees, they remember that they're actually a really good team. (laughs) (laughs) Good for them. Good for the Yankees. (laughs) They're getting healthy. They've had a lot of injuries. I don't don't really follow them. but (laughs) No, it's all good. It's all good. But are you familiar with that park that they have down in Tampa? Tropicana. Uh, were they the, the Rays play? Yeah. I've never been to it specifically. I, I work in Tampa when I go out there, but yeah. I've never actually been to the stadium. So one of the things that's very fascinating, and I'm not I'm sure a lot of listeners don't know this. You might know this, Mario, but the Tampa Bay Rays, it's like the toughest place to catch a fly ball because of the way that the roof appears in that dome. Oh, and like also the old the Metrodome. Lights. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you've seen, like, I've seen this happen a lot where it's like the guy just loses the ball in uh, in the dome. And so I was thinking, I honestly don't totally understand how these playoffs are going to work because I know they're going to be on neutral mm-hmm. sites at some point. But I was thinking, man, if it was in Tampa the whole time, there would be so many missed fly balls and it would be it would be a great blooper reel. Oh, yeah, you go back to, the again, the 80s with the Twins. That was such a, a huge advantage in the playoffs because the Cardinals in 87 couldn't see the fly balls in the Metrodome ceiling. And in 91, the Braves couldn't either. Yeah. <laughs> it's a huge advantage. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what I was thinking. I was like, man, that would be the greatest home field advantage in the year 2020 because there are no fans allowed. 
And now they've had some good playoff fan turnouts in the playoffs, but they don't get that in the regular season. So that's a, that would be a tough place to win a game. Yeah, I agree. Those, those domes, domes are a, a big advantage. I mean, Seattle had the same thing in 95. It's just, you, you kind of forget about these places until you pack in 60,000 people and all the noise and the roof. Like those are intimidating places to play for visiting teams. I looked it up, Mario. The first series, the wild card series, that one is not going to be on a neutral site. That's just going to be home field. So whoever they play in that round one, get ready for uh, – It's a, that's the weird thing. It's two out of three games, but get ready for some uh, comedy bloopers in that dome. That's right. It's a good old Brad Culpepper field. <laughs> oh, man. What else has been a good story in this baseball season out of what you've been paying attention to? Well, I'm not sure good stories. The stuff with like the air quality in the West Coast, that was really kind of interesting. Yeah. Everyone playing in like smoke and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was in LA, it was in San Francisco, it was in Seattle. Like normally you don't get the fires that far north. Usually it's more of a Southern California thing, but it was weird. I mean, 2020, everybody, <laughs> surprise, everybody was on fire on the West Coast. So it was weird that they were playing an air quality that was like, I think they said someone, normally the air quality index is like 60, and that's about average. And when it gets up to 200, that's like dangerous to be breathing in. And I know the Mariners and A's played some games where the air quality was like 240 or 250, way beyond that. So that was weird. Yeah, that was, that was weird. I even I hadn't thought about that too much. Yeah, but that's about again. I, I really only kind of follow the West Coast and the fall of the Astros. So, are there other good stories this year? I would say my favorite story, and obviously there's some regional bias here, but the resurgence of the Chicago White Sox. I mean, I'm oh, right. Yeah, I'm running a column right now, Mario, and it's t- this is the title. It's for the first time in 15 years, the best team in Chicago resides on the South Side, and that's for all sports. If you think about it, and here's an interesting fact: through the 2010s, there are 123 American professional sports teams out of the four major leagues: NBA, NHL, NFL, Major League Baseball. It's only six of those 123 teams went the entire decade without a playoff appearance, and uh, the Mariners are also on that list. But yes, the White Sox are as well. Yeah, I'm always in favor of new teams making the playoffs. I, I think it's exciting. I I don't really like or dislike the White Sox, but I enjoy the idea that new teams and new fan bases are rewarded. So I think it's good for so go White Sox this year. Yeah, and they're very exciting to watch, and they're built to last. They have so many good young players. Tim Anderson has an outside shot, second straight batting title. What a what a player that guy's turned into. Just imagine how good he'd be if they traded him to the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's amazing. <laughs> he plays shortstop? What? Really? I didn't know that. Wow, was he from like Dominican Republic? How come I've never heard of him? <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I was actually just in Chicago last summer. That was my last trip pre-COVID. So, yeah, we were right there. I love that city. That's one of my maybe my favorite city in the U.S. visit. We drove right by that park, right by the uh, Fields Museum and everything. It was a, I love that place. Yeah, and I think you told me last year, because you had just been here right before you came on this podcast, you were getting some deep dish pizza in Chicago. Was that right? Of course. Now, why would you not do that? Yeah, of course. So I was curious, (laughs) a deep dish pizza 
that you've tried in Chicago? Do you remember what you had? What was your favorite? <laughs> this is hilarious because if I go to Philadelphia, every single friend I have in Philadelphia has to know what kind of cheesesteak I got, what kind of <laughs> toppings and where I went. And it's very important. They know because they'll tell me why I was wrong. So I'm very <laughs> hesitant to stumble into the same question with the Chicago. Oh, I'm not, I'm not super opinionated on it. Honestly, there are places I haven't even tried yet. But. Okay. Well, I've been to Chicago like five times. I've been to Geno's East twice. I've been to Lou Malnati's twice. Yes. And there's one other place I went. I don't remember the name. It wasn't really a chain. It was just a local one. Oh, okay. But this last time, we went to Lou Malnati's. You'll be very excited to know. <laughs> yeah, that Lou Malnati's is definitely the one that we get the most. That's probably out of all those that's branched into the suburbs the most. Um, that and Giordano's. But, yeah, I can't go wrong with either of those. Yeah, it's Gino's East has more of a cornbread crust, which I don't like as mm-hmm. much. I like Lou Malnati's, which is a little less cornbready. But but also when I was out there, I went to Portillo's a couple times. I got my Italian beef. So I, I have Ooh. my Chicago street cred. I know what I'm doing out there. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah, and hot dogs. You do anything hot dog-wise? Oh, yeah, of course. Hot dogs with no ketchup. Trust me, I know the rule. No ketchup. Get it as is, Chicago style, with the the neon green relish and the sport peppers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I could fit in. You, I could blend in. I don't have the accent, but otherwise, I could fit in with the Chicago people. Do I sound like I have an accent? Do I just sound like a Midwesterner? What do I sound like? You sound like Rob Sesternino. You guys have very similar accents. Really? You do. I I keep almost forgetting I'm not talking to Rob Has a Podcast because you guys have a very <laughs> similar accent. It's very, the cadence is similar. That's interesting because he's a New York guy. I know. And <laughs> maybe the accents are similar. I don't know. But he doesn't have an especially New York accent. It's like a, what, Long Island? It's not like yeah. a Brooklyn or a... A Bronx accent. He's got a little different one, but you guys sound very similar. But you have li- definitely have a little more of an accent than I do. I have West Coast casual. <laughs> so you moved from Seattle to Southern California. And I think I heard this on one of your episodes of the Survivor Historians that the Beach Boys were a big draw for you to move to Southern California. Is that correct? Well, yeah, just California in general. I, I grew up in Seattle, and growing up in Seattle, pre like Ken Griffey Jr. Mariners, pre grunge, Seattle had no identity up into the '90s. It was kind of a sleepy, boring place. And anybody who is any type of usually good student or ambitious wants to leave Seattle when they go to college. So I always wanted to go somewhere. Every single friend of mine, like you know Princeton, Dartmouth, Harvard, they all go to outside schools in other states. I wanted to go somewhere in California, and my dad raised me as a kid to love oldies music, Beatles, Beach Boys. Oh, Beach yeah, Boys great favorite. Stuff. And so I had this image in my head of Southern California, beaches, you know, surf music, this little surfer girl in my room, all those yeah. great songs. So I eventually ended up in Northern California, loved it there, had a chance to move to Southern California later, liked it here. But yeah, it was a lot of it was just the image of Beach Boys music portrays living in California. So we when we did our trip, we went to Huntington Beach and that was like the coolest place I've ever been. I would totally be a surfer oh, yeah. dude if I lived out there. And what's great is there is at least ten equivalents of Hunting Beach just up and down the coast. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I believe yeah, it. Yeah, Hermosa, Redondo, Malibu, there's uh, Newport Beach. It's great. Oh man, yeah. Well, I'll definitely have to come out there again when uh covid the world is a little more normal we'll get there eventually i will say the one thing that you're out here immediately 
come out here in the middle of winter when I know in Chicago everyone's <laughs> dying and it's 90 degrees on Christmas Day and you go to the beach. That's oh, when you yeah. come to California. You, you sold me, Mario. That that did it. I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, again, I love Chicago. I've never been there in the winter. Don't. So perhaps I'd be a little less excited <laughs> about it if I had. Don't do it. <laughs> no, I'd rather not. So I got a couple other baseball things. One thing that I think is really interesting, I guess we haven't chatted about it before, but I a lot of my Philly friends are very unhappy with the output of Bryce Harper, and they're going to be paying that guy for about 11 more years. Do you have an opinion on big contracts in general, signing superstars in baseball? I mean, it's always going to be a risk. And, you know, the smart analyst would say, you're basically paying for the first five, six years and you just hope the last fighters aren't embarrassing. Right. So that's the thing. You're overpaying for the last years. You're underpaying for the first. So, I mean, <laughs> it's a risk. You got to know your player. You got to yeah. know your budget. You got to know your culture. Some teams it works for. Bryce Harper, in my opinion, was never the best player in baseball. So it was weird that he would get this massive contract. Yeah, I agreed. He had one MVP's caliber season, and he had one other year where he was really really good like he had another great year mm-hmm. but other than that a lot of his career and i know some people don't like batting average some people are bigger on war and i guess he's been a good war guy but i like to take all those stats and just kind of blend them together and i don't you can't simplify a player's production to one metric but yeah. he I, I just it left more to be desired i think and that's sort of what the philly guys are getting right now Yeah, and it's interesting because I've seen it twice on the West Coast in recent years. With the Mariners, we did that with Felix Hernandez. Oh, yeah. They signed him to like a long contract, and he was terrible his last four years. But it's like you got to remember how good he was his first 10 years. Yeah, then the Angels did the same thing with Pujols. Oh, gosh. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, it's worth it at the start, but you know it could really bite you in the butt later. So you have to look at it from that perspective, that we're just paying him for those first early years, and basically we're subsidizing him his last couple of years. Yeah, totally. Do you think Felix Hernandez was one of those guys that came to America and lied about his age? Because, I mean, he came up at apparently age 19, and technically he's supposed to only be like 32 or 33 right now, but he fell apart uh, not to – I mean – it's been a little while since he we saw his best days. Yeah. The reason I don't think he lied about his age is because the Mariners have a very young scouting program in Venezuela. He's Venezuelan, if I recall, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. So they scout them very young. Like, they were on him when he was 15, 16. So I don't personally think he was one of the cases that he lied about his age. I just think he had a lot of innings on him at a young age. Yeah. That's another thing with pitchers. Is it's not just age. It's injuries it's innings it's yeah as indiana jones once said it's not the age honey it's the mileage (laughs) (laughs) yeah now poo holes i think totally lied about his age (laughs) (laughs) yeah poo holes oh my gosh but again with poo holes i gotta say when the angels signed him that was a massive story they got the angels a lot of international attention other players would want to come there so even though it wasn't the wisest signing it helps spotlight your team a little bit so there's there's intangibles yeah there totally is but going back i'll bring up one more thing of why i like pitchers hitting and felix hernandez hit that grand slam that (laughs) would not have happened otherwise 
That makes up for the 8,000 strikeouts. (laughs) Well, Bartolo Colon's home run, I think, was worth it for every single pitcher that struck out that year. Bartolo Colon (laughs) hits a home run, and it's still a national holiday. Every year on that day, (laughs) it's like big sexy went yard on this day in 2016. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a Civil War battlefield now. It's a hallowed place. (laughs) So... So how do you stand on uh, Shohei Otani? Oh, gosh. Well, that's a good question. I don't know how long he's going to be able to try to do two-way. I think he's going to have to mm-hmm. probably be a hitter, but he's really fun to watch. I like him a lot. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of surprised. I haven't heard more about him this year because, again, yeah. he was a huge story. And I was just looking him up today. I'm like, how come I haven't heard a thing about Otani? And apparently he's this year and he's been hurt. And the Angels, like you said, are talking about moving him off of yeah. pitcher, just hitter only. So yeah, that may be over I think soon. so. I mean, that's, that's really tough. You know, the guy who, and you don't follow National League all that closely, the guy who's really good two-way right now is Michael Lorenzen, pitcher on the Reds. He was he came up just as a pitcher, but he was a reliever. But they saw him in batting practice. They're like, man, this guy can really hit. So they started using him as a pitch hit, pinch hitter. And now he'll play some outfield for the Reds too. He's he's a really good he's a really good reliever too. And with one hundredth of the media attention that Otani, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's cool. I again with the you know crammed smaller roster sizes. I'm always surprised more people don't try to do two ways just you know as a backup outfielder backup reliever why not it's just that saves you some roster room yeah I mean there's so many guys who pitchers who are probably the best hitter on their high school team absolutely yeah I mean that's the thing there there's always the one kid on the team who's the best at everything (laughs) that's why I always go back to uh the bad news bears the movie the bad news bears yeah I love that they didn't try to pitch Kelly Leak. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. In every other league, it would be the star pitcher, be the shortstop, everything. (laughs) No, let's just bury him in center or left field. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Mario, one other baseball thing, and we can maybe chat about a couple other stuff here. But baseball ratings, I think this is really interesting. National Football League ratings are down. NBA ratings are astronomically down. I just saw the other day, game two of the Western Conference Finals. It was the lowest conference finals game viewed in seven tiers. So I was curious, how is baseball doing during this time? I know there's a lot of content out there. There are so many sports. We don't normally have four sports going on at the same time. Baseball ratings are up from last year. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. (laughs) I would not have guessed that. And especially with young people and women. There are more young people and women watching this season than last year, apparently, according to these um, numbers. Well, I know baseball makes a concerted effort to draw in more female fans. I know, do the other sports do that as much? I know baseball, I've seen that a lot, like Women's Night, uh, Women's Sportscaster Appreciation, that they're really making an effort. Yeah, I think the NFL's model is essentially everyone play fantasy football, and if you play fantasy football, you're going to care. I think I think that's their thing. And then the NBA, I don't really think they do anything of that nature. Well, there you go. So baseball's the it's funny for the sports that's the oldest, but it's the most progressive. It's trying to draw in types of fans. So, you know, more power to them. Yeah, I th- I think they're doing a really good job and I'm just tired of every single year going through this thing where the mainstream press 
And when I say this, I'm talking about the big conglomerate, something something like ESPN, which doesn't really pay a whole lot of attention to baseball. But it's every single year you hear from these people, it's like, oh, baseball's dying. This is the end of baseball. Meanwhile, National Basketball Association is a league of the future. I mean, this is this is the biggest thing. And then you look at the numbers, and uh, not the case. Baseball's doing pretty well. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, I, it's, it's a little good news in 2020. I like that. <laughs> totally. So... Mario, you do a lot of other things in addition to writing about Survivor. You have a pod. Are you doing your SNL podcast this year? I am not. I am. Okay. I, am I think I've been banned from SNL podcast because I'm a little <laughs> too blunt. <laughs> is there any hope for season 46? Is, is SNL just, is this it for SNL? Oh, I mean, this depends on who you ask. I... Here's my opinion, which I know most people would probably not want to hear. I think SNL kind of at this point is not really necessary anymore. It's not the place where the top minds in comedy go because there's so much, so many other places to go on the internet. And it's, you know, they try to be topical, but they, Lorne Michaels is in good with Trump. He's in good with other politicians. Like it's not really the voice of the people anymore because mm-hmm. it's, it's a little too cozy with the people that are in power. So, I personally think SNL is a show past its prime, and I would not be surprised if it kind of tails off the next couple of years. Because again, Lorne Michaels is not young; he's he cannot do yeah. this forever. Yeah, and they have a million cast members, many of whom have been there an extremely long time. Mm-hmm. It just it seems like it's almost a parody of what it once was. Well, yeah. In my opinion, the strongest eras of SNL are when they clean house and bring in a bunch of people who are young and hungry. And you just get some really interesting stuff you've never seen before. SNL has not had that. They have not rebuilt since about 2009 or 10. And before that, it was 95. Gosh. Like, Lauren Lauren has gone on the record saying he does not like rebuilding. He likes structure, consistency. I don't think at his age he will ever do that again. I think he's just going to let it ride out. So I don't think he'll ever get an era again where everyone's young and hungry and fresh. I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I'm on the same page with you on all that stuff. I think the one other thing I would say, my personal opinion is that getting political in a lot of ways just isn't really good for business. Like I know I run a sports podcast, so for me to talk politics, I would alienate half of my audience, whereas sports is something that would bring all these people together. No one goes to political news networks for their baseball analysis. So why would they care about what I have to say about politics? And I think what we're seeing in a lot of cases, SNL, where has it always been this political? Because I know that they always had some types of sketches, but it just feels like they're kind of beating you over the head with the same rhetoric every single week. And I think that it's gotten to a point where it's not it's not funny. It's more like we have to make some type of a statement or make some type of a stance. That That's my opinion with SNL, at least. Yeah, and SNL, for the record, has always been political. Yeah. It's always been left-leaning, you know, for the most part. But mm-hmm. I've been watching. There's a, uh, if you go to archive.org, there's a guy who recently uploaded every single episode of SNL in history. Oh, wow. And I've been going through them because there's a lot of these old ones I haven't seen in a while. And they're all political. They were always political, but the difference was they were political in a silly way, yeah. kind of a, a, a funny way. They just wanted you to giggle at something. Yeah, like, I can't believe I'm losing to this guy. <laughs> yeah, they do not do that. Like George Bush, Dana Carvey is George Bush. Yeah. He's just doing shtick. Yeah, it's it funny, really good. But there's no bigger point. And 
it does like you when you watch it now it really feels angry like they're really trying to make angry points and yelling at you to vote the correct way and although there's some backstory to that because there's always the the argument that trump kind of got elected because lauren michaels helped give him a platform right so Lauren may have gone the other way in the direction. She's like, oh, look, I'm sorry. I kind of helped Trump get elected. Now we're just going to beat him over the head and we're going to tell you you have to stop Trump, which is not SNL's history. That's not their tradition, but that's kind of what they do now. And that's what I think – I wouldn't say turns a lot of people off, but it polarizes the audience very, very much. Yeah. And I think even – I mean, I think part of it is just it's not all that funny. I, I, at least I think like they have done stuff where it's political and it even seems like maybe – like I, I think of the Charles Barkley NRA sketch. That was hilarious. <laughs> and Ed's yeah. roach repellent or whatever. I thought that was so great because it was like, yeah, they got their point in. It was political. There was commentary, but it it had a point. It was funny. It was silly. And but when you just see like, all right, here's the Brett Kavanaugh hearing, and we're not going to add anything that we're just going to reenact everything that happened for 12 minutes. That was the part where I was just mm-hmm. like, gosh, like guys do something creative, do something fun here. Yeah. If you really wanted some culture shock, go back and watch the episode from like 86 through 90, 91. When the writers were like Robert Smigel, Conan O'Brien, <laughs> Louis CK, yeah. Bonnie and Terry Turner, like royalty in comedy writing. The, every single sketch is so clever and so a lot of them are subtle, some are vicious, but they're all in a way genius. And I watched the show like the last four years and I'm like, there's not a bit of genius to be found in any of this. It's just angry people just trying to make political points. Like, I don't even know why I still watch it. It's just, it's unpleasant to watch. Yeah. I stopped watching, I think it was last season and I would basically see when you would be tweeting or posting stuff on Facebook and I would just find out what the good stuff was and I'd go watch that. That's the way I was consuming SNL the last two years. <laughs> and that's my thing. I'm not generally a negative person. I just look for things yeah. that inspire me or I think are genius and are amazing. And so I'm digging through SNL and it's so barren. Okay, well, that was pretty good. And I'll point out the good thing. But like people say, what do you think about the rest? And I don't want to say because I can't say it's good when it's not. I don't really I can't really do that. It's 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 not uh, from my heart. <laughs> I just absolutely love whenever Kyle Mooney and Beck Bennett do a sitcom parody sketch yeah, or they're silly. Like they do that one that's like a spoof of the real slash big brother. Uh-huh. It's so great. We love it. My my parents and I, anytime there's a new one of those, we just get so excited. And the thing is, Kyle Mooney is great, but he does not belong on SNL. That's not his, <laughs> right. his medium. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. SNL's too angry. I don't think comedy can be angry. That's in general. Yeah, I agree. That's my biggest beef. Kyle Mooney... What do you think his future is going to hold for him? Whenever he leaves SNL, do you think he's going to make more of these really awesome movies? I also, that was another one. I followed your Brigsby Bear uh, recommendation through Staff Picks and watched that with my parents. We loved that movie. It was a great movie. There you go. Yeah, it's Kyle Mooney's interesting because you think he just started on SNL. He's trying to get a footing in the world. (laughs) He's been on there like eight years. Yeah. He's been on SNL twice as long as John Belushi was. <laughs> so, like he's not really I don't know what his future holds I would love to see him make more movies like Brigsby Bear and again I will plug that movie till the day I die everybody go rent Brigsby Bear don't even read about what it's about just go into it you'll enjoy it it's so fun but I don't know Agreed. what I don't really know what a Kyle Mooney can do what where his career lays 
Yeah, and I don't know either, but I will say it's not a bad gig. It's kind of like you're the backup quarterback on a football team and you just get paid for like six years and you don't have to go out there and take any hits. He's Rex Culpepper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's got a good gig. I don't know why he's still in SNL. I think it's a waste of his talents, but, you know, they're paying him. I'd probably take the gig too. Yeah, easy money, I guess. Yeah, why not? <laughs> But no, no, I could not be less interested or excited about this current SNL season. They brought back every single person who I think should have left four years ago, and they kept the exact same writers. I'm like, it stunk last year. Why do you think it won't stink this year? (laughs) One other criticism I'll add on SNL is Kate McKinnon, when she does a male impression, Mm -hmm. it's, it's the same impression for every single male that she imitates. Oh, yeah. Every male she does is is uh, an old racist and he's mentally more yeah, ex- <laughs> And then every female politician just will zap everyone with her wacky liberal energy. That hurts her same character every single time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And she's good. Like, if they had the 80s writing staff with Kate McKinnon, they could do amazing things, but they don't. The writing just has no... There's no uh, depth to the writing anymore. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, all right. Well, I guess we will see if... I, I don't have hope for SNL this year, but I'll be following. If you end up tweeting about it some more, I'll definitely be listening to what you have to say about it. <laughs> it's funny because, like I said, I don't like being negative. I'm just, I, I try to be positive. <laughs> That's my whole thing with staff picks. But as many people have told me over the years, Mario, you're way funnier when you're bitchy. <laughs> so if I'm trying to amuse people, I'll be a little bitchier and more negative. But try not to be. It's just kind of a fine line. I did watch, um, I heard there was a what's up with that on the one of the episodes that they recorded from their homes or whatever. Mm-hmm. They did what's up with that. I, I really like what's up with that. I think that's always a really fun one. Again, it's silly energy. Silly energy always plays. Yeah. It's just Keenan being Keenan. It's it's fun. Yeah, exactly. I, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. All right. So you also... I guess you have a Survivor Historians podcast. You just wrapped up covering Survivor Borneo, which I'm going to tell the listeners, guys, if you haven't seen Survivor Borneo, watch it on CBS All Access, which go to jackvita.com slash CBS, sign up, get a free one-week trial, and that will support this podcast when you do that. Or click the ad band on jackvita.com. Once again, using my Johnny Fairplay stuff here that he showed me. <laughs> but uh, you guys covered Survivor Borneo, the first of Survivor, which was... I haven't finished listening to your guys' uh, episode because the last one was really long. Um, but, man, that was a really great job you guys did on the historians. And also, just the listeners, if you've never seen season one of Survivor, you should really see it. It's It's really remarkable. It is. And again, that's everything that I am about in the world of entertainment, pop culture, you know, stuff like that. The first season of Survivor is so interesting because there has never been anything like that on American TV. And there never was afterwards either. So it really came at an interesting point in history where it's a documentary, a nature show, a test against the elements. It's a strategy game. It's a test of ethics. It's a psychology test. It's all sorts of things. And it's all packaged and fictionalized. They take real footage, make it into a TV show like The Blair Witch Project. And yeah, I really just love talking about that season because there's never been any season of any TV show, anything like that. Yeah, it was so good. So 
I don't think I've ever told my story on this podcast. I definitely haven't told it to you of how I started watching Survivor. I haven't mentioned that to you before, Mario, have I? Was it at one of Johnny Fairplay's appearances? <laughs> I wish. Because <laughs> he'll be at the Harris uh, Casino next month if you want to check him out. <laughs> so, season, so this is summer of 2000, 20 years ago. This year, we're celebrating 20 years of Survivor. And that summer, summer of 2000, I was not allowed to watch TV for the summer. I was six years old. My parents thought, you know what? You're young. It'd be good for you not to spend the summer on a computer, on a TV. So the rule is no TV unless we put something on the TV. That Then you can watch it. So the only things I watched that whole summer, my parents would put the Cubs game on every night. And then uh, Survivor came around, and my mom started watching. See, around maybe like around episode five, and I remember catching bits and pieces, but not really being all that. It was like all right, whatever. It's some show that my mom watches, but I watched the finale, and that finale, fifty-three million viewers. It was a huge TV event, and I I just remember watching it and being so interested in how's this adventure going to end. Richard stepping off. Um, Oh, sorry. I don't want to give spoilers out, but I guess I if you haven't seen season one of Survivor, you probably will have it spoiled to you eventually. <laughs> but anyway, that whole final immunity challenge and then the final two, my mom saying to me, now, do you want Kelly to win or do you want Richard to win? And I'm like, well, who are they? She said, well, <laughs> Kelly's like this nature guide. She's cool. She can do whatever. Richard's just this like guy who runs around naked. I was like, when you're f- six years old, nothing's funnier than someone running around naked. So I was like, naked guy, naked guy. <laughs> and thus, your introduction to the world of Survivor. <laughs> so then I watched Australia. It was similarly, I didn't really watch it every single week. The first season that I, so it was like Australia and Africa, I watched in and out some of those but the first season that really i got into watching it every single week and it became a show that i watched not just a show that my parents watched was marquesas and Mm -hmm. i really think that it was watching boston rob as this guy who's probably like around the same age that i am now and he was just like a kid and it was like here's this guy who's just going to make fun of all the adults and he's gonna laugh at them and be rebellious and cool and so Boston Rob, I really think uh, brought me in on four. You know, I think he did bring in a lot of people. I don't think you're alone in that. He was very popular at the time because, like you said, he was new energy you hadn't really seen on Survivor before. Yeah, and it was like here's this. Yeah, again, same thing. You're a kid. You're like, wow, this guy is just gonna make fun. He he doesn't want to work. He wants to look for chicken. He wants to just you know run around and do his own thing. He wants to be the boss. He doesn't want to listen to authority. And so I think for for children, it was like, oh my gosh, this guy's the coolest guy ever. Yeah, no, I totally agree. He and then uh, Sestronino a couple years later. Yeah, those were the young guys that really brought in a young younger crowd. I'll do another one in between there. Season five, Rob Z. It was like, here's this dude on a skateboard. And in this era, you know, early 2000s, extreme sports were huge. Those were so cool, again, to kids. So it was like, here's this kind of bratty guy who's just going to bring a skateboard as his luxury item. Like, 
wow, this guy's awesome. So yeah, I think, and then Cesternino came along. So those three Robs, I think, were really the the guys who brought me into Survivor. So you just really like people named Rob, basically. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. And the general, you love the general, Robert DeCanio? <laughs> I can't say that I do. <laughs> yeah, I love Rob Zabachnik, because there's no greater place to bring a skateboard than the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Like, he forgot his surfboard? Like, what? <laughs> it's funny you mentioned spoilers. Oh, sorry, spoiler. I can't tell yeah. you how many emails we get about that on Survivor Historians, where we'll say, we'll talk about season two, and we talk about who won season four. And we'll get these angry emails. Stop spoiling. <laughs> like, dude, this show is 19 years old. They can't spoil something that's almost two decades old. <laughs> we get that all the time. That's really funny. That's... <laughs> So good. So Survivor Historians, you guys are going to do Nicaragua pretty soon, at least eventually. Yeah, we were supposed to do it a couple weeks ago. I wanted to do it over the summer. Nicaragua is a very polarizing season, very controversial. Some people love it. Some people hate it. I'm a big fan of most of it that I just want to talk about why I think it's fun. But unfortunately, we couldn't do it towards the end of the summer. I uh, Two of our historians, Jay and uh, Paul, are both teachers, high school teachers or middle school teachers. And all of a sudden they got slammed with all these, you know, remote teaching, remote teaching plans, all this. So school was so hectic for them that they just could not commit to a podcast for a while. So we're kind of on hiatus until all the schooling settles down. Then we'll do Nicaragua. I'm excited about these next few seasons that you're going to do. I was talking with a guy, I'm sure you've interacted with Josh Harding before. yeah. Yeah. Really good guy. He listens to this show. Give him a shout out. He and I were uh, sort of agreeing, I think that that stretch around Nicaragua, Redemption Island, and I hated South Pacific when I first saw it, and it's almost to the. I'm going to rewatch it eventually. I think I'm going to like it a lot. But Nicaragua, Redemption Island, I actually think those three seasons are quite strong, especially coming after Heroes versus Villains, which was one of a season that I really did not like. Yeah, well, Survivor has a history. They do a big all-star season to celebrate you know, their, their fan base and their franchise. And they always have a hard time starting up again after the all-star season. Yeah. Vanuatu had a hard time after all-stars. After Heroes vs. Villains, you have Nicaragua, which was very, again, it wasn't received all that well. And a lot of t- Survivor fans to this day still call this era the Dark Ages, 21 yeah. through like 25, which I disagree with. I really think Nicaragua, Redemption Island, and South Pacific are all fascinating to talk about. Yeah. Much more than most of the seasons in the 30s. Like, I think those, the show was trying new stuff, and it didn't always work, but they were doing stuff. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, I totally agree. And Nicaragua, I watched it last summer for the first time since it was on, and it. I think all those seasons, you throw Samoa in there, too, kind of feels like it's a part of that era, even though Heroes vs. Villains comes in between, but... Those seasons really feel old school in a lot of ways. It feels like old school Survivor. It seems like in Nicaragua, there are a lot of people who don't really know what they're doing and they're just kind of figuring it out. And that's part of the show that I find really fascinating, really fun. Yeah, and that's one of my controversial opinions I've had over the years that I say players that are not good at Survivor are far more interesting to watch than players who are good. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't like it when everybody's an expert. It's no fun. Yeah, so I'm excited. And when you cover Redemption Island, which is truly a top 10 season for me, I love Redemption Island. I think it's really good. I'm excited for I that. personally like Nicaragua, South Pacific, and Redemption Island more than Heroes vs. Villains, to be honest. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> but of those three, of those three, South Pacific is the one that I think is a minor masterpiece. That's one I really yeah. hope grows on you one day because I have a for to plug for your listeners who might not know. I do a website called the Funny One Fifteen, which is all the funniest Survivor moments of all time, and I'm really high on South Pacific on that countdown, including my number one entry coming up will be a South Pacific one. So. I'm excited. I think I'm going to rewatch it eventually, maybe next summer. So definitely, well, there's no Survivor this year, which we'll talk about in a second, but I'm sure I'll watch it pretty soon. It's, I think the thing for me was just being a devout Christian, seeing the way that faith was shown on that show. And it doesn't mean that it was inaccurately portrayed, but that I think that was the part that was tough for me to watch and it turned me off to it. But it is the reality of the world. I mean, it may be tough yes. to watch, but I don't think you could deny that people do use religion for nefarious purposes sometimes. Yeah, totally. So that was, uh, yeah, that was probably the thing with me that I had the tough time with, I think. But I mean, I get to watch Cochran again. I get to watch Coach. And uh, I, <laughs> I think it'd be fun to watch. I'll have to rewatch it eventually. Ozzy. Ozzy is very underrated in that season. I've been hyping him up on the Funny 115. He's so funny in South Pacific. <laughs> and Sophie. Don't forget Sophie. Yeah. So, but Redemption Island is, I feel like I'm the only Redemption Island fan out there. So I will write you plenty of stuff to say when you get to that season. <laughs> I don't like that it exists, but I like the way it was presented and thought out. And I like everything about it except the fact of who won. that's fair i think if matt wins or philip wins it's much better story totally is it's it's good tv it's good tv either way it's yeah i don't like what it does to survivor history but i think the product is quite fun oh yeah yeah there are a lot of really good characters in that season that people have forgotten about i I was so happy when you started writing about steve wright i was (laughs) like oh my gosh i thought i was the only guy i thought i was the only person who liked the guy the the master of deadpan humor you don't even get the joke for two weeks like wait a minute that was a joke and you go back and look at all the stuff he was zinging at people and it's he's really fun so what is the survivor historians for those who are interested i think there are a lot of people who listen to this podcast and have heard me allude to survivor and talk a little bit about survivor um and they haven't watched it I think if they watch maybe a couple of these seasons, watching, listening to Survivor Historians after they watch it, I think would be a nice component, complimentary piece to the watching. I think they'd understand it better. So what what is the Historians? Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because the people you are talking about would be our prime audience. <laughs> so Survivor, again, it's a stupid game show now. It did not start as a stupid game show. It started as the biggest phenomenon in American TV in like 30 years. It was incredible how big it was. And I am probably, between me or like three other people, we are the oldest recognized (laughs) survivor writers still out there who have been writing about the show from the first season almost. So like a few years ago, I noticed the show was starting to focus on its recent history. They only wanted you to remember the last two or three seasons. And again, it's been on 40 seasons. It's a long-running show. And I'm like, it's weird. They're forgetting the early days of the show when this show was bigger than Friends. The show was as big as Cheers. Like, this was a massive Seinfeld-like show. 
And so I put together a show just because of my history as the oldest survivor writer, where we just go through the seasons and we talk about how they were received at the time by the audience, why they were edited, how the fans reacted, what it was like being on the internet, interacting with the players, writing about the show. And we really put you in the context of what it was like in 2000, 2001, 2002. And I think we do a really good job because we're very thorough. So it really helps you understand the show on a different level than you would get from any other podcast because we're the only Survivor history cast out there. It is phenomenal. I love it. It's so good. And uh, I've been watching Gabon lately, so I've been listening through the Gabon episodes, and those are really fun as well. And that's that's a newer season, but going back to the old seasons, I mean, I was around watching those, but I was too young to be using the internet. I wasn't aware of what people were saying about the show. And so to hear a lot of stuff, I find out a lot of information. You guys had an inside source on one of the seasons. You figured out that there was some type of maybe rigging going on with how the season ended (laughs) up playing out. Just top-notch information you can't get anywhere else. Yeah, and that's the thing. Because of my history... That people know I know my stuff. I, again, just if you know my name, you know Survivor. I've been there since the beginning. So we get all sorts of sources. When the players are on the show, they are not allowed to talk about the show. They sign contracts. But there's no rules saying you can't tell me about it and then I can talk about it. So I know all these players over the years. I know editors. I've talked to producers, casting people, media people, people that covered the show and know Jeff Probe. So they just go to me. They're like, Mario, you can talk about it. So anything you hear on the show <laughs> is like stuff you would not hear on other podcasts because they don't have the sources I do. It's, it's, uh, and it's not just me. There's four of us. I took three of the smartest people I have ever met through the Survivor community, and I threw them on the show. And we're all just trying to, to want each other on the show or make each other laugh, which is always funny listening to smart people try to outdo each other. So it's, I think it's fun to listen to. <laughs> Absolutely is. It's it's great stuff. So, uh, survivor related. What what do you what are your thoughts on Winners at War? What do you think of the most recent season? And where do you think this show is going in the future? I uh, <laughs> always you can be negative, to, Mario. I, it's okay. You can be negative. I think it's stunk. <laughs> the, uh, in the words of Wayne Campbell, it sucked donkeys. <laughs> I do not think Survivor has had a good season in five years, in 10 seasons, maybe even 10 years. Like, I don't really think they put out a good product anymore. I think they go through the motions. The audience just accepts anything that has the word Survivor on it so they can clap like trained monkeys. I'll be a little negative here is that the fan base accepts crap from this franchise that has turned into a stupid game show, and it was never meant to be a stupid game show. So I'm very down on it right now. I do not think there's almost any hope it's ever going to regain its glory unless Jeff Probes leaves and they get a new production team. Yeah, I can't say I disagree with you. (laughs) (laughs) It's terrible. I have almost nothing to say. I can't. I try to do these funny 115 entries where I pick out the great moments in the show or the great moments of editing, and there's like nothing anymore. They don't even try to do that stuff. So I'll say, I will say, the last season that I think I really enjoyed... um, and I, this doesn't seem to be a very common opinion with the people that you and I talk to in the Survivor community, but I actually really liked Millennials versus Gen X. Okay. I thought that there was a lot of just, I thought there was some cool stuff going on with like Jay's relationship with Adam, and uh, there were some funny moments along the way, but, and there were some good characters, but I will say like someone like Brett 
is we saw him on the amazing race and he was like an outstanding reality tv character and they barely used him on millennials versus gen x that's what they do on Survivor. they only care about yeah. the strategy and like people talk about how great this game is how it's evolved and so if you don't talk about that if that's not your storyline they will not feature you so they really do a disservice to, I think, a lot of amazing people who get cast and just want to be on the show, and they get buried in the edit because the show doesn't care about them anymore. Yeah, that's true. I liked Michaela, too. She was... Uh, she was fun. She brought, I liked her. Yeah. And when, when Jake voted her out, and there was that whole like Mexican standoff, it, it, I liked that stuff. I thought that was good. Yeah. I mean, my if, you, if I wanted to boil it down to one sentence, The Survivor was once about the players... And eventually it became about the game. The yeah. game is the star. The players only matter how they fit into the game. And that was not how it always was. Yeah, totally. So where do you think, do you think it's going, when do you think it'll come back? Because it's not coming back in 2021 in the spring. And why does it need to be in Fiji all the time? It seems like. Well, you, yeah. yeah, they have a sweet production deal. Fiji cuts a bunch of costs for them, subsidizes mm. everything. So they get a great deal yeah. and they will not leave because of that. I actually didn't know that, but that makes sense. Yeah. And probably rightfully so. If I'm running a business and somebody says, we'll pay you a bunch of money to film here, I would do it too. I just think it makes the show worse. That's yeah. why the show is not special anymore because every single scene is on the same 10 foot stretch of beach, every single scene of every season. Yeah, I agree. So do you think it'll be on next fall? It really depends on how well-behaved we are as Americans if we're allowed to go to other countries. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> right now, we're kind of banned from going anywhere. <laughs> I don't know. I, it's, uh, so much is going to depend on vaccines mm -hmm. and the election and, and how many people take vaccines and how effective they are, what our American behaviors are. Again, I couldn't tell you what it's going to look like in 2021, but all that will depend on if Fiji will allow us into film a TV show there. My last survivor question for you, and then I want you to plug staff picks. Who, if Jeff Probst were to retire tomorrow, mm -hmm. who, if let's say that there had to be a former survivor contestant to replace him as host, who would you like to see? Damn you. I see this question <laughs> asked every time, and my answer is always, I don't want anybody associated with survivor. I want someone who actually knows how to host a TV show. Yeah. But if you were hamstringing me and making me pick a former contestant. I'm not going to say Sesternino because that's too obvious. Right. Uh, <laughs> I would love to watch a show if someone like Coach was the host. <laughs> Imagine Survivor hosted by Coach. <laughs> what about Tyson? I mean, Tyson's fun, but he's a little... He's sarcastic. Like, he, he's not a good yeah. authentic narrator. Coach is authentic to his core. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to see Coach just coaching it up as the host of Survivor. So there you go. Final answer. Oh, man, that'd be good. All right. So, Mara, you have this other podcast, Staff Picks, that we have alluded to a little bit. What can people check? What can people see on Staff Picks? What do you have coming up? And uh, what's the purpose behind that podcast as well? Well, Staff Picks, uh, the short version is it's a podcast where I talk about underrated movies and movies that I think deserve more love. That Somebody just needs to go and talk about why people should like these movies more. And that's kind of my thing. I like sticking up for the underdog. I like looking for things that are like maybe small and people don't notice. And so that was always my impetus for doing staff picks. Although a lot of it ties into doing, again, I was doing the SNL podcast and Survivor. And I tend to be very negative on those just because I don't think SNL and Survivor are good at the moment. So I kind right. of developed a reputation as people said, Mario is very negative and critical. And 
I'm really not <laughs> in real life. If people know me, I'm very positive. So I like, I just want to do a podcast where I only talk about things I love, nothing critical at all. All we do is praise things that perhaps wouldn't get praised. So that's what Staff Picks is. And I've done 104 episodes now. And it's just me and a guest talking about a movie we both love. And we walk through the plot and we talk about why it's great and what you should like about it and kind of the history of the movie. And it's, it's a really fun show. It's probably my favorite thing I'm working on. Awesome. Yeah. I enjoy listening when it's a movie that I'm familiar with. Um, and then other times when I'm educating myself on movies that I don't know about. So <laughs> it's a good podcast and you are almost finished with the Funny 115 version three. Is that correct? That's correct. I only have two more entries. I have been working on this. Again, this is my the funniest survivor moments of all time. And these are not cheap write-ups. These are some of them are 80 pages long with its insane amount of pictures and intricate storylines I'm trying to walk you through. So I have I have done three versions of this website. I've done 343 write-ups over the years, and I'm down to my final two, and I'm so excited. <laughs> Sweet. Uh Anything else that you'd like to plug while you're here? I do have a book out there as well. Yes. And uh, <laughs> I, it's the really the only Survivor history book out there. And it's, again, because the players sign these contracts. They're lifetime contracts that say, if you're on Survivor, you cannot write about the show until the show goes off the air. And the show has been on the air for 20 years. So I have never been on the show. I just happen to know a lot of the players I get a ton of inside information. I've been there all these years. And best of all, I've never signed a contract not to write about the show. So <laughs> I have a book out there called When It Was Worth Playing For, which is about the first three seasons of Survivor and how I became involved with the show and a writer. I am in the, currently working on a sequel to the book. They're available on Amazon. Just look it up under my name. You'll find it. It's, again, the only Survivor history book you're probably ever going to see because anybody else who could write a good one is not allowed to. Mario, I'm going to order one. I realized I hadn't done it in the past. The thing is, I listen to audio primarily, so maybe there's a way that I could get you to read it to me before I go to bed. <laughs> I'll see. We'll do a special series of podcasts, the Jack Vita <laughs> podcast, where I, little nursery rhymes. We have little, and my voice will slowly fade out as the melatonin kicks in towards the end of each chapter. <laughs> you want to throw out your Twitter handle as well? Uh, my Twitter is at Mario J. Lanza, although I will admit I'm not the best on social media. I don't really do much on there. I'm on Facebook more. Every once in a while, I'm on Twitter, but I really just talk about my projects if I have a new episode of stuff coming out. But you can follow me on there every so often. Maybe I'll say something about SNL or, or Survivor that might be interesting. All right. Well, this was a lot of fun, Mario. Always a blast to be here. We'll definitely have to check in sometime in 2021. Yeah, this is a much different than other podcasts I do. So it's always fun to talk about baseball <laughs> because as you've noticed, there's not much of a crossover between reality TV fans and sports <laughs> fans. So we might be the only two. We might, we might be. I'm finding some of them. I, maybe I'm just converting people to reality TV, but that's probably not a good thing. I sh maybe I shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> Yeah, people are always surprised that I'm like a big baseball fan. Like, I grew up in the kingdom. I know Mariner history. I know baseball was my entire world. I played in high school. I played American Legion. I played against guys that were in the pros. But yeah, so baseball is a huge thing. So reality TV fans are always shocked that I have actually left the house and played sports before. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, thanks again, Mario. We'll have to do this again next year. Absolutely. And let me give the plug for Staff Picks in particular. Staffpicks.podbean.com. That's where you can find it. Great, great podcast, fun discussion. Absolutely. And you can also get it on the podcast app. And I would think it's on most places where you can get podcasts, right? Yeah, iTunes for sure. And that's about it. I, I specifically didn't put it on YouTube. Just because I tried very hard not to monetize my podcasts because there's music in there that I may not own the rights oh, to. Oh, yeah. So you will not find it on YouTube. You will find it a place that it's free, though. <laughs> well, I'm a sellout now, so I'm, I'm fine taking money. I don't care. <laughs> That's fine. You and Johnny Fairplay. You guys are going to be appearing next week in, uh, in Atlantic City, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll have to be his new wrestling tag team partner. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks again, Mario. Yep. Thank you. Well, folks, that does it for my conversation with Mario Lanza. Had a lot of fun talking baseball with him, talking a little Saturday Night Live and Survivor as well. I hope you enjoyed it. If you enjoyed this episode of the Jack Vita Show, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. So that way you can be notified when Ever there's fresh content available. MLB playoff preview coming in just a few days. You don't want to miss out. Subscribe and leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Jack Vita Show. Go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Jack Vita Show. Once again, MLB preview pod in just a few days. Be on the lookout for that. Have an awesome weekend, everybody. And until next time, I'm Jack Vita. Bring in the dancing lobsters. <laughs>